there's story one at play and there's story two at play. And over time, I realized we are born into story two. That is the operating norm for anyone's life. Everybody, 100% of all of us are born into story two, which is a world that is broken and chaotic and dysfunctional. And that's the story we're born into. And so my question was, if, if that's the wrong story, where did story one go? Like, if that's what we were created for, what happened to it? And how do we get it back? Welcome to the Isle of Misfits. Nancy Carmichael here, your humble host and chief misfit. And today... We're going to dispense with all the monologuing and just get right to it because I am talking to none other than Alan Arnold. Can you believe it? He's here again. And if you don't know who he is, first of all, where have you been? But for those of you just joining us on this Misfit journey, he is the executive producer of content for Wild at Heart Ministries. Did I get that right, Alan? That's right. Yeah. Okay. All right. But I said I wasn't going to monologue. I think I'm monologuing. Um, but, and if you listen to their podcast at Wild at Heart, which you really should, because it's very good, you'll recognize his voice right away because he's on it a lot. And he also writes really cool books, like the one we're going to talk about today. But most importantly... For some reason, he keeps coming back here to hang out with us misfits, for which I am most grateful. So, hey, welcome, Alan. Thank you, Nancy. I feel right at home on the Isle of Misfits. I love it. Well, we love that you feel right at home. We love that you keep coming back. And uh, we're going to talk. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. Um, and I think we should also talk about your book because, hey, you wrote a book, another book. A brand new one, honey. Of a brand new book on Eden, and we are going to talk about that. But first, I think you know by now how this goes. We're going to play a stupid game. Stupid <laughs> game. All right, I'm so glad. I'm glad that you think it's good. So here's what we're going to do today, because you've been you've been around here before. We're going to cover uh, that in a minute. I, I think I've won a couple of the games. You've won several of the games. You've gotten some fabulous prizes, if I oh. recall. Disco so, ball is my favorite. We yeah, we've we've covered the gamut. We've done music, we've done arts, literature, you name it, we've done it. Today, our stupid game, in your honor, because this is not your first appearance, it's not your first rodeo here on the aisle. We're playing misfit trivia today. Are you game? I'm ready. Trivia? Okay, all right. So here we go. Question number one. Your first appearance on the aisle was after I shamelessly accosted you at your multiple choice here. Was it A, at a captivating retreat, B, at a wild at heart retreat that I smuggled myself into, or C, you have no re recollection of ever having been on this podcast before, nor any idea who I am? Well, I'm going to go, can I go with D? Yeah, <laughs> all of the above. I, I <laughs> thought it was at an earth, wind and fire concert that we ran into each other at. <laughs> That's right. I forgot. See, you should be writing this game. <laughs> it was indeed. Yeah. No, it, I would go with uh, a captivating. It was a captivating. That is correct. Yes. Earth, wind and fire. I, okay. So this is a bonus question. Cause I think, I think somehow I probably put it in show notes on one of our podcasts. Um, or maybe I think I sent it to you. So there was a mashup earth, wind and fire meets Oh my gosh! Uh, Fleetwood Mac. 
Fleetwood Mac, thank you. Thank you very much. All right. So bonus points if you can name the two songs they mashed up. Um uh September. Yes. Put in fire. I'll give you a hint. No, I can hear the song. Okay. I'm yes. Chrissy McVee, who just passed away, sadly, not too long ago. Lead vocals. You make loving loving fun. You make love and fun. Yes, yes. Yeah. It, was, okay. it was a mashup. Yes. I think it was you make September fun, is what they called it. It was great. <laughs> Maybe I'll put that in the show notes. It was great. It was fantastic. Okay. All right. Another bonus question. Do you remember what year? I wouldn't expect you to remember this. I had to go back. What year was your first appearance on the aisle? Well, I would, I don't know, but I would guess 2017. Close. I was going to say we've only been around since 2017, if you can believe it, but it was actually 2018. It was 2018. All right. Second. But, well, not bonus. Second question. How many times have you been on the aisle? I had to go back and look, too. I think this is number four. It's number five. Number five? Number wow. five. Yes, I actually wrote you were. So July. No. Yeah. July of uh, 20. Was it? Oh, it's 2019. How can that be? I guess it was 2019. So I got I got the first question wrong. So it was uh, two times in 2019 once in 2020 and then once in 2021 so we've talked about all your books so far and i think we had a bonus in there sometime somehow somewhere well and i have to say it's like the most fun podcast i get to be on um when i'm when i'm on somebody else's podcast because you not only ask like really fun and trivia driven pop culture questions and quizzes and things like that but you also go really deep into really like eternal things and so that combination is so rare and i think the title of your podcast is so perfect but i love how it's both like i laugh more than any other podcast and i tear up more because it's it's that beautiful combination Mm, wow. Thank you. What a, that's, that's, that is wonderful encouragement. Thank you for that. And like, like I, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I'm, I'm just always uh, grateful, amazed, and somewhat shocked that you keep coming back. So thank you. My yeah. And what, what, what was my prize for that, yeah, so, that uh, trivia contest? For the, oh, I, well, Did the I win? Is, yeah. Um, oh, you, yeah, you actually, you got one more and then I'll okay. send you a prize. Okay. Yeah. So the prize today will be something random from our house. So, um, cause I've run out of mugs and you already have one. So, um, we have three core values on the aisle. I'm only going to ask you for one number and I'll even give you own your awkward. <laughs> you what you can see at home is I'm holding up my mug, which well, has and, never and it's also it. on the wall right behind you. And it's also you? on the wall right behind me. So yes, you couldn't go wrong. But I knew that you knew it because yes, you you have encouraged me over the years to own my own awkward. So you win. You you hands down. You have won this game. So something random's coming your way, my friend. Okay, I'd like I'd like a um, a jacket from Barry Manilow. Oh, so he's uh, requesting his random. Okay, all right. It, if that's i know you have one in your closet and so yeah i'll go through the inventory i'll let you know yeah the 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 barry manilow inventory we'll have to we'll have to see <laughs> i don't know it might already be taken but uh 
we will we will search high and low. We have goodwill down the street, so dreams can come true here on the aisle. So, all right, congratulations. That was great. And yeah, so aside from the fact that you keep coming back here and it's just been wonderful to have you, I think it's time now to talk about this book. It's called The Eden Option. I'm holding it up so you can see it, even though you know you wrote it. Um, but I was I was telling you before we officially started this podcast, um, this is one of those books. I I actually, I read it in a day and I don't often do that. And it's not, you know, and it's not like a small, it's it's not like a, how do I say this? It's not a light read in the fact that like, oh, it was just light and fluffy and candy. It was, it was actually really profound. It was light in the, in the sense that it was lighthearted and encouraging. And I was amazed that I got through it as quickly as I did, but it was deeply encouraging for me. So that's why I'm thrilled. I get to talk to you about it today. Well, I'm looking forward to to the time together because what you're naming, when I was writing this book, I wasn't just thinking of the words and the stories, but I really wanted it from a design perspective to be unique and easy for people to pick up and begin and then hopefully stay in. And so what the listener can't see is the book is a six by six square format. And Which it's, I love. Yeah. A different. Very different for me from my past books. Um, the chapters are like two to three pages. There are standalone quotes on pages from everything from Winnie the Pooh. I know Winnie the Pooh isn't a real being, but the author of Winnie the Pooh to uh, Bonhoeffer, to Madeline LaEngle, C.S. Lewis, Frog and Toad. Uh, one of my favorite like books as a child growing up to read. Anything basically that would help us re-envision what home is, what our true story is. And so I got to put this together in a way that keeps it, I think, engaging, unexpected, but it actually brings us on a search for our truer story. And it's one that most of us aren't living in and don't even realize exists. So it's a little bit of a treasure hunt for how do we move from this story that never has felt quite right, which is the story we're born into, into the truer story that God created us for. And, and the way we get there is through Eden. So it's it's I think it'll be a fun journey for people. So, yeah. All right. So let's talk about story because that's, yeah, you keep saying story one, story two. And that's uh, really the subtitle of your book is choosing a story one life, right? In a story two world. So we're going to back up a little bit. Um, and if you want to listen, you you told a really cool story several podcasts ago that really was the prelude to this book. So if you could kind of nutshell that, you know, previously on Alan Arnold, um, and and then we'll go from there because it's it's pertinent to why you wrote this book. It is. The, the book began with a story of, of mine that God took me through, which is almost two years ago to the day, I had been speaking at a lot of venues and, and gatherings, conferences, back to back, and I lost my voice or about 80% of it. So John Eldridge uh, said that during that time, which was several months, my voice sounded like I smoked two packs of Marlboro a day. And uh, it was this hoarse, raspy, 
soft voice, not anything like my real voice. And it would not come back. And no matter what I did, I'd try not to talk. I'd, you know, try remedies like hot tea with honey and all, all kinds of things. And I ended up finally going to an ear, nose, throat, ENT specialist. The doctor put a scope down my throat, said, and showed it that he had a large screen TV where I could see what was in my throat. And there were these nodules. And he said, you know, Alan, this happens when people abuse or overuse their vocal cords. And singers get it, pastors, speakers. Um, and you have that. And until I surgically remove them, and the nodules come out, you will not have your voice back. It's 100% guaranteed because it's affecting your airways and your vocal cord. And, you know, I said, okay, well, let's sign up for the surgery. And the soonest he could do it was two months later. Well, so by this time, it's been around three plus months that I hardly have any voice. And I'm in my yard and doing some yard work. And I sense God say, Alan, do you want story one or story two? And Nancy, I'd never heard that phrase before, those, those categories. I had no idea what God meant, but I knew there was a gravity to what he was saying. And on the other hand, I knew he was being a little bit playful because he knew I didn't know what story one or story two meant. And so anytime God asks a question that we don't know the answer to, I believe it's an invitation into conversation. Mm -hmm. And so quickly... You know, and you know, I'm sorry, can I, I am interjecting there. I don't want to hold your thought. I don't want you to lose it, but that's so important. You said invitation and that, that word keeps coming up because someplace in your book, I don't remember what page, but you talked about an invitation, a dialogue rather than a monologue, right? Because so often we think of our prayer time or that time with God, it's a monologue. I'm just going to, this is what I need. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'll see you later, Jesus. Um, But you're talking about an invitation with a question, which implies dialogue. So back to you. Yeah, well, absolutely. And you're so right. Like we tend to monologue with God and then wait to see what he does rather than dialogue like you would do in a relationship. And so I had this conversation with God. Of course, you know, I always have to say like, no, God's not, I don't hear him speaking from the heavens. Mm -hmm. It's an internal uh, conversation. God made us in the secret places, you know, in, in our inner being, we can hear the voice of our creator. And it's not our imagined, you know, kind of what would God be saying? Let me just think that through. And okay, well, he'll probably say this. No, it's it's actually God speaking to us, hearing his voice and us having conversational intimacy with him. And so to make the a long story short, it's in the book, people can read it. But, but basically, God said, story two is the just the way of the world. Like, go have the procedure. There's nothing wrong with that. You're not doing anything wrong. It's not a bad thing. Do that. See what happens. Or, which was two days away, or cancel it and walk with me into mystery. mystery. And I, love that. I found myself in that moment, honestly, thinking, well, I'm doing story two. Like, if God's okay either way, in two days, I can have this fixed. And I've been waiting three months. Right. I'm in for story two, but mm-hmm. I I spent a little more time that day and realized actually story one sounds like a really cool adventure. And I'm never going to know what that is if I don't say yes to it. Like, it's not that God would be mad if I chose story two, mm-hmm. 
But if I don't choose story one, it'll always be a mystery. And so I said, okay, God, I'm in for story one. And, and I am releasing you from any expectation on my part that that means I get my voice back. I don't want the story to be about my voice coming back. I want the story to be about me going into an adventure with you. And that ended up being story one. And you can read, people can read the book if they want to see what happened after that. Obviously, I did get my voice back um, because I'm speaking to you now, two years later, and it it happened in a very short amount of time. But the real goal and the gold, G-O-L-D, wasn't that. The real gold of it was it helped me see the world and myself and God and our stories in a whole new way, which was there's story one at play and there's story two at play. And over time, I realized we are born into story two. That is the operating norm for anyone's life. Everybody, 100% of all of us are born into story two, which is a world that is broken and chaotic and dysfunctional. And that's the story we're born into. And so my question was, if if that's the wrong story, where did story one go? Like, if that's what we were created for, what happened to it? And how do we get it back? And so that's what started the journey of this book, The Eden Option. Yeah. Yep. So story two, we're born into it. There's, like you said, there's chaos, there's pain, there's all kinds of mayhem. And yet it wasn't the original stories, but it might be all we know right now, but there's more. And this is what, this is what I'm hearing. I know we did a, a, a pretty deep dive into this story that you just told me um, on the previous podcast and in your book, which I think you all should read. Um, but here's a, here's a little quote I pulled out from page 110. Story one doesn't guarantee an easy life, just a meaningful one that echoes eternity. So now let's let's kind of uh, connect some dots here because we're talking story one, story two. What does all this have to do with Eden? Yes. So story one, as I just spent time with God, as I did a lot of reading, a lot of research, scripture, reading as well. Um, what I would say, Nancy, is story one is the original true story. It's It's the story we were created for, and it's a way of life with God at the epicenter. In other words, it was Eden. And story one, Adam and Eve were created within that, for that. And so they experienced only story one initially. And, you know, oftentimes as as Christians, we skip from, well, there was creation and the fall. And we kind of say it in one quick couple of word phrase or sentence, and we leave out, we skip over paradise. And yet paradise is is the heart of the whole story, not the fall. The heart of it is paradise, life with God, life with him at the epicenter. Right. And so we don't know how long Adam and Eve had that experience. It could have been, I, I don't even know, and I don't think anybody knows since we weren't there, if time flows then like it does now. And so they could have experienced this walking with God, intimacy with God for what we would say were thousands of years, or it could have been a couple of days. We don't know, but we do know that there was enough time for God to teach them language. I mean, how do we think they knew how to speak? Yeah, Uh, think about that. 
and and then we kind of just you know we go yeah adam named the animals well right he had to master language first like there he had to know how to speak first and so who taught him that it, it well it had to be god and and so we think about all the ways god would have fathered them would have explained the world they find themselves in and and just introduce them to story introduce them to you know what what is the meaning of life and and so all of that happened in paradise and then adam and eve because they start to listen to the wrong voice the serpent's voice they start to doubt and that doubt leads them to make a choice which is the tree of knowledge over the tree of life but but really it was a choice before that of which voice to listen to like yes. and and that was the beginning of the end for them of story one and they find themselves escorted taken out of eden into story two and story two quickly the whole world becomes not eden but ecclesiastes and where nothing has long-term meaning right. everything's vanity futility. yep yep yeah futility and so that's when i talk about story one and story two story one was what adam and eve had they were born into story one chose story two we everybody since them born into story two and have to choose to go back into story one and 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 back into doesn't mean we're trying to look on a map like indiana jones and find the original eden i'm not saying that and i'm real clear about that in the book what the eden option is is this choosing story one the story adam and eve let go of relinquished gave up walked away from and we can reclaim a lot of the the things of eden that they lost and and the book goes into four key things that we can actually experience today now in very practical real life-giving ways when we choose story one over the story two that we we were born into yeah and each one of those four are yeah we could we could spend a whole podcast just talking about those four things and maybe we'll i, I would love to touch on them in just a moment but right now i want to i want to camp out here for a minute maybe even back up a little bit to you talked about the um the doubt that was sown into them you know that yeah. the doubt in paradise the the lie that was told to them and w when i was reading this i'm like yeah i remember the first time looking at um at uh, genesis 3 and looking at this that same thing jumped out at me um and you said this in the book that you know it wasn't you know the moment we, we always look at the moment well they ate the fruit that was when that was when they turned to story two but really it was it was when that seed of doubt just took root in them and here's what i saw I, i'm gonna i'm gonna read this 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 is what the serpent said um serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals Lord God, he said to the woman did god really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden and you know what you've probably caught this god didn't say that he never said you can't eat of any tree in the garden. In fact, he said the opposite. He, he said, you can eat from every tree right. except. Right. So right away, he's twisting God's word. And, and as you said, you know, in the book, casting those aspersions on God's character. He's not good. He's holding out on you. Yeah, he, the enemy, it's really clear, the serpent who is 
absolutely evil through and through, but also has had some pretty good experience at having people turn against God, like the the angelic war in heaven. He got a third of the angels to choose him over God through a similar ploy. But the first question, like you said, it's an obvious answer where Eve can say, no, God didn't say that, but it's an engagement tactic. He's getting her to engage with him and to feel like that she has some answers. And so it starts this toxic conversation But it's the second question that he's really after from the start, which is a question that causes her to doubt God. Because when he says, you will not certainly die, he comes back and says, for God knows that when you eat from the tree of knowledge, Mm -hmm. your eyes will be opened, you will be like God. So now he's getting to, yeah, God is holding out on you guys. And, And I love how Bonhoeffer, Diedrich Bonhoeffer, and this is in the book, but He says, what is the real evil in this question? Did God really say? Yeah. And he goes on to say, it is that this question already contains the wrong answer. Exactly. That it is that with this question, the basic attitude of the creature, Adam and Eve, Mm -hmm. or the creator comes under attack. It requires humankind to sit in judgment on God's word instead of simply listening to it and doing it. And so that I think. You know, when we start to go, well, a good God wouldn't really say, do, be this way. Or, you know, I've heard pastors say, well, I can't really serve a God if the God of the Bible is a God who does this and this. What we're doing is all of a sudden we're elevating ourselves over God and then saying, in my opinion, a good God would be or do or say or act this way. And so we remake God in our image. Right. We judge God. And that started all the way back in Eden with a question that led to doubt. And in today's world, I would just add real quick that so many um, believers think doubt is noble or somehow sophisticated or, um, you know, kind of the the doorway to really fulfilling um, the right vision of God. But doubt never leads to intimacy. Doubt never leads to trust. And so anytime the the enemy can get us to start questioning, start doubting, it's always a journey away from God, not toward God. And we see it in the angelic rebellion. We see it in the Garden of Eden. And we see it every day, today, all around us. Right. Yeah, because, you know, there's a difference between, you know, we all have our struggles and our questions and, you know, the Psalms are full of it. You know, David is just complaining left and right and this isn't fair and do you even see what's going on? And But there's never an impugning of God's character. And that's the difference, even between lamenting and accusing God. That's that's the that's the place where where the script flips and God will entertain our questions all day long, but once we start to impugn his character and and this idea that questioning, are you even good? And as you said, elevating my status, you know, elevating as if, as if I know, well, if I were God, you know, uh, I would do things differently. Um, And I, and I'm, I'm spending so much time on this because I think this is so foundational to all of the rest of it to, we can't have intimacy with God if we're constantly questioning whether or not he's good and means what's best for us. Right. And David, 
as you were just saying, and, and in the book, I talk about this a little bit. David wrestled through his emotions and questions about God with God. So right. he with. didn't let his doubts push him away from God. Right. He actually rolled up his sleeves and said, I, I need to be honest with you, God. Right. I, I have these questions, these doubts. And 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 he engaged God with it and stayed with God through it all. But you know, that's I think the model that we need to follow. Adam and Eve, on the other hand, they hear the serpent's voice, they hear his lies, they don't go back to God and say, Whoa, God, we just heard this and the serpent is saying all kinds of things about you. And right. that's how we see you. That's not what we right. know you to be. So what's going on? We don't hear any of that. We hear them listen, entertain the doubt, and then go for it. And so, right, if we bring our doubt to God, there's a lot we should doubt. We should doubt a lot in this world. We should doubt a lot about what is happening in politics, government, um, our communities, our, you know, other people. We should be cautious and have doubt on many things here, but I think the key is to not let that mindset then go into, well, now I'm gonna pursue God with doubt, and now God has to prove all these things to me, or I'm gonna go my own way. Because once we start that, we it's like Bonhoeffer says, we've already started down the wrong path before the conclusion of that story plays out. Right, right, and not that I wanna give everything away in your book, but you you took, you took uh... What's what's the word when you take word that has all the same letters, but you flip the letters around? I, what's I I forget what the oh, yeah. is. there's a part in the yeah. book where yeah. I, I say we're either on a trail yeah. with God exactly, or we put God on trial, like a trail there's or a trial. two letters, but that we get to choose which yep. and one is story one and one is story two, right? Story right. one, we're on a trail, an adventure. When I lost my voice, I went into the wild with God and had no idea how it would play out, but oftentimes instead we start to say well if god would allow this then i don't know if i can trust him or if god doesn't come through here and we start to put him on trial which is a total story two way of viewing god which is through our filter and there's never good results with that it never goes well and so if we can instead flip that that word to just I'm not going to put him on trial, but I am going to go on this trail of life with him. And I will always believe in his goodness. I will always believe that God is the one who created reality and has my best in mind. And as long as I stay with him, there's no guarantees, but I know I get God and that's enough for my story. Right. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna throw something at you and just get your genuine reaction. You can you can tell me if I'm a heretic or not. Um, okay, so still in this this Genesis three thing. So you know he he's lying. The serpent is lying, saying um, that if you God knows if you eat of this fruit, you eat of this tree, that you're going to be like God, and he doesn't want that. Here's here's my reaction to that. There's nothing in Scripture that I see that would tell me that God doesn't want them to be like him. In fact, he wants union. He That's the very thing he does want. And this is part of that framing and deceitfulness of that question is, is getting them to doubt that God wants what's best for you. He's holding, 
you know, that, that he's holding out. He doesn't want what's best for you. So I don't know. Am I crazy? Am I a heretic? No, I think, I think I like the direction you're going in that God, you know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with knowledge, right? But, um, but God wants us to have wisdom more than knowledge. Right. And he wants right. us to have intimacy more than information. Right. And so I think one way to to kind of come alongside what you're saying and look at this is god whatever we are invited to do or want to do the invitation is together and adam and eve chose to move away from god to try to jump over god or to become equal with god and so it always i think comes back to motive and so the motive was not from anything we can read and, and from god's reaction the motive was not, well, we want to become more like God so we can even become more intimate with God. Right, right. It's we want to write our own story, right? Right. We and want so your place. Exposes. And and you know, that's I think you look at the the serpent's motive. I mean, all we have to kind of fill in the blanks here and we have to make a few assumptions um and invite God into it. But one of the things that I, I found fascinating and I, I put in the book is the enemy initiated a knowledge-based conversation with Eve using the logic of the tree of knowledge to yeah. draw her to that tree. Yeah. He perceived being like God to be based solely in knowledge and power, which revealed he never understood the true heart of God. What he was after was doubt, but not just any doubt. He didn't want Adam and Eve to doubt their own desires or even doubt his false narrative. He wanted them to doubt God's goodness. And yes. so Yes, that's what, yeah. Yeah, sorry. I, 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 but that I, I'm so excited about that because that's, to me, that's the key of it. Because this is, this is a very John Eldridge thing to say, but you know, desire, right? God plants those desires and they are good desires. But here the enemy comes, usurps that desire, perverts that desire, and turns it into something ugly and, and ends up in death rather than life. And I think that's what we're talking about here is just this whole idea of, well, can't trust God, so I guess I got to make my own way. Well, yeah, and look at, I mean, the immediate impact of that, he tells them they'll have their eyes opened and they'll be like God's. And the very first thing that happens is they don't want to even be seen, like they hide right. in shame. And so the very immediate fruit of their decision from eating that fruit was not empowerment not you know boldness not they're shimmering you know like gods uh in their glory they're hiding in the bushes and the first words they say are words of blame they blame you know adam blames eve and by essence god because he gave him her you know the woman you gave me yeah. adam says and yeah. so he blames, he blames god yeah. Eve blames the serpent mm -hmm. and so these People that thought they were going to become like gods are actually like little toddlers. They're blaming each other. They're hiding. They're fearful. It it was not a good trade. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The job description is it's a little too much for you know for any for any one of us, including them, including me. So yeah. So and I, I just think that there's something there, obviously for all of us to, to just really not go not be too quick to to breeze past that just like you said um before you know not breezing past paradise when we walked with him 
Um, but to to really understand that this wasn't just a flippant, oh yeah, this looks good. I think this would taste good. This no, there's there's something really really foundational there that that I think we all wrestle with. And it's and it also to me was kind of a mind blowing thought. Other people may have had this. Maybe I'm slower to get to it, but it was when I was reading and studying, I realized, you know, we talk about how believing is the main thing, but here's the deal. Adam and Eve believed in God in the garden from the time they were created. They saw God. They knew God intimately. They believed in God for sure. Just like we believe in anybody we're talking to face to face. Right. And then when they chose the wrong tree, Nancy, you know, and were, were kicked out of Eden and were in story two, they still believed. I mean, mm -hmm. they believed in God enough to hide from God right after they chose the wrong tree. You don't hide from something you don't believe in. And mm -hmm. so believing is good, but believing is not enough. And it's not right. the only thing by any means God is after. It's like 101. But believing is a doorway into relational intimacy. Yes. And that's what Adam and Eve lost and gave up and didn't have. And so a lot of times I think when we kind of go, yeah, we're believers. Well, great. That's a good first step. But so were Adam and Eve, both before right. and after the fall. Right. So there's got to be more than just belief. And right. I believe that's union with God, intimacy with God. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, the Pharisees believed, right? The demons right. believed. So, yeah. I And you talked about this in the book, you, you know, you uh, Corinthians 13 at every single wedding from the dawn of time, um, you know, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So love encompasses belief, right? You can't, I, I guess you could have belief, as you said, without love, but you can't have love without belief because love believes all things. Right. And I think, and John Eldridge has said this, uh, and Larry Crabb and others, but the thing about Adam and Eve, like in that moment, there was that brief time where Eve had eaten of the fruit and Adam hadn't. And Eve at that point is fallen. Adam is not fallen at that right. point. And Adam chooses Eve over God. The love that Adam has is more toward her than toward God. Right. Do you, and, yeah. Do you ever wonder that, what that might again. have happened? Do you ever wonder what oh. might have happened had he not chosen that way? Like, what what would that have looked like? Right. It like it, it's hard to fathom what it would have looked like, and I totally get our our love you know for our spouse um the, the human to human deep intimacy the two become one but the problem is you know we never should put anything over our love for god including right. our spouse and c.s lewis i mean he thought about this and he wrote a whole novel on this in what's called kind of the space trilogy or the ransom trilogy and book two of that Paranandra. is called Paralandra. Yeah. And Paralandra is about what happens on a planet. Oh, yes. What happened. And it's fascinating. The, the enemies there. It's it's a it's a really beautifully told story. Yes, yes. The unman was trying to talk her into betraying her husband. Well, I mean, I mean not not in that yeah. sense, but 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 choosing death, right? Right, choosing yes, yes. choosing anything beyond besides God. Yes, and, yes. And so, if you know, listeners have not read that. It's part yes. of a trilogy. It's book two, 
but it's a standalone you could read as well. Right. Yes. It's one of our favorites. So yeah. Yeah. But that's an excellent point. So I know that was a little rabbit trail that was for free, but um, yeah. And that maybe that'll be like a sequel or a spinoff chosen series of what, what might've happened. Um, but, um, But, but to get back to where, you know, just the greatest of these is love. And that can be a flippant thing that can be, oh, you know, the, the, well, there's the right answer, ding, ding, ding on the felt board of Christian Sunday school. But if we really fathom that this God who created us longs for union with us, not to just have us behave our way into goodness, not to just, you know, check the boxes, but he longs to walk with us in the cool of the day, right? Right. If we were to fathom that, why would we not believe the best in him? And why would we not want that story? And that story, story one, gets us to not just, you know, it's not just, oh, if we do that, then, you know, we get to heaven and and everything's better there. It's actually, no, we can actually live in union with God here. We can have Eden union. And the book goes into that plus three other things we could get now. Eden union is the first just like it was with Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall, we can have Eden voices. And that's really important because it's through our voices that we change the atmosphere for good, both through our presence, who we are, and and our gifting, our calling, what we do. And so I go into the book about what does it mean to have your true voice back, to, to like Esther, have a voice for such a time as this, And if we believe that we are living near the end times, near the end of the story, and I'm not sure how anybody could not believe that, it may they may not think it's tomorrow or next week, but if you even think it's in the next 50 years, 100 years, through the course of human history, you're near the end of the story. And so we've been given a voice for such a time. Is this, what is our Eden voice and our Eden vision? If the greatest human longing is to be fully seen, fully known, fully loved, well, then how do we see with clarity who God is, who we are, who we are creating for, and and start to be fully seen, but also fully see others with mm. Eden vision, and then Eden rest, which is a huge one because. I mean, we are we are restless, burnout, overwhelmed, weary people for the most part. And that's not how God created us to be. Like somebody was telling me uh, the first full day of Adam's life actually was the day of rest for God. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, after Adam was created, however you measure a day, yeah. the, fir- the the next day was the day, the seventh day, the day of rest. And so his first full day, whatever that period was, was a day to have restoration and joy and savor, not busy doing something. And so the book goes into those four qualities because I think when we have those and and then experience them together, all four, we actually reclaim what Adam and Eve lost in this fallen world, in this story to world. We start to live like beacons because we're living in basically refusing to accept the unreality of story two. We're saying the deeper reality is story one. And even in the midst of a story two world, we can have these Eden qualities that Adam and Eve gave up, but but we don't have to. What they exited from, we can re-enter and have. 
Right. And, you know, just a moment ago, you talked about rest, what it means to rest. You know, Adam, that first day of his life was Sabbath, right? That was God's Sabbath. And so often we think, oh, well, that means, okay, well, don't go out, stay home, take a nap and, you know, just whatever. Um, But I love how you framed it, right? What, What is true rest? True rest is savoring, it's celebration, it's restoration. And what a what a different framework than well just be still do nothing you know we think that's right. that's not rest or you know maybe you do need to take a nap but then the whole idea of well do it because tomorrow's going to be hard so you better gear up to get back into the grind and that's that's different that's a different mindset of of living our lives right when people say you know, Sunday afternoon they say oh, I've got to take a nap because I've got a big day Monday yeah what I get what they mean and i've done that myself right right but but the spirit behind that i think is off because it's basically saying the purpose of me recharging is not to simply be but it's just to get busy doing more so like Mm -hmm. a phone i've got to i've got to recharge it so it can be then used up again yeah (laughs) yeah and that's not my restoration Right, right. And that that again, that is so important. I could camp out here for a long time, but I'll, I I'll, I promise I won't. But but just the whole I think a lot of us, I'm raising my hand too. Alan can see it. Um, but that is such an important topic. It's more than just, well, I need more margin in my life and I need to have that day of rest. So I, you know, it's how do we live this way without this assumption like, well, I'm just gonna I'm going to burn myself out and then I'll take a nap and then we're going to burn myself out and then I'll go to the beach and then I'm going to burn myself out and then, you know, whatever, then I'll have a bottle of wine, you know, uh, or whatever it is that you, that you think right. it's, it's the way, you know, um, oh, it's, it's restoration versus uh, what's the other, relief. The, yes, the, the other R word, right? Yeah. So it's, it's better than relief. It's restoration. Right. Because I mean, we do this with vacations. It's like, we'll kill ourselves working for 51 weeks and think one week is going to replenish us for 51 right. more weeks of, of to the grindstone. And that's, that's crazy, but yeah. that's not how God made us. Right. And it's how the world, the story two's version of it, but not story one. Right. And it's so much better news, right. Than, than story two on every level. So Alan, I'm going to, I'm going to throw you back one more, one more line from you. I'm throwing you back to you. Cause this was, this is my takeaway. This is what I'm going to, um, I'm going to pin this up on my uh, computer monitor. So you, you can see this is, this is the quote. Um, I'll just read it to you. How are you wielding your voice? Does it reverberate with strength, create a readiness in those who hear it, nudge people toward a welcoming, a welcome awakening. And this is not the only takeaway that I have from your book, but this is, this is for me what culminates everything you said because it all comes down to I can't give away what I don't have, right? But I I do have a voice, so whatever I have, I'm giving away, right? So um, I'm going to shut up, and I, I just want you to talk a little bit about that, and then um, we're going to let you go on your way. Yeah, well, that's so. What I was quoting there was from Matthew 13, and how Eugene Peterson in the message phrases it. And basically, it's this beautiful section where the disciples who are with Jesus ask him a question that we're so, all of us are glad they asked because we would have asked the same thing, which is, why are you telling stories? Why do you tell stories? Because he was telling parables all day long in the scene. And in Matthew 13, Jesus says, you've been given insight into God's kingdom. 
you know how it works, but not everybody has this gift or this insight. Whenever someone is ready, has a ready heart for this, the insights and understandings flow freely. But if there is no readiness, any trace of receptivity soon disappears. And then he says, the kicker, that's why I tell stories, to create readiness and to nudge people toward a welcome awakening. Mm -hmm. And so whatever we do in our time on earth, whatever we're drawn to, whether we're teachers, our accountants, our architects, our baristas, or stay-at-home parents, our storytellers, our painters, like we have to ask ourselves, are we doing this with the same motive, back to motive, that Jesus had, which is, I want what I do, what I say, I want my voice, I want my presence to create readiness mm -hmm. in others and to nudge them toward a welcome awakening, not to be harsh or to be shrill or to be bossy or, you know, to be off-putting, but to nudge people toward a welcome awakening. And then, Nancy, he goes on later in that same chapter, Matthew 13, and it says, all Jesus did that day was tell stories, a long storytelling afternoon. And his storytelling fulfilled the prophecy, I will open my mouth and tell stories. I will bring out into the open things hidden since the world's first days. Matthew 13, 34 through 35, the message translation. So what he's saying there, I love, which is there have been things hidden since what are the world's first days? Well, that's paradise. That's Eden. Mm -hmm. That's early creation. So God has hidden things in creation from the time of Eden. Adam and Eve didn't get to reveal or find any of those things, but we do. And so why do we do what we do? It's not just to be productive, get busy. It's actually to bring out into the open things hidden. Right. It's the world's first days. And when we do, we nudge people toward a welcome awakening. So if you want to know if you're living in story one, if you want to know what that might look like, if you're not, that's it right there in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. And when people go, well, I'm not sure which one I'm in. Well, I will say this. You can flip-flop back within the course of a minute sometimes. Right. But but you will have one as your primary home. Right. And if you have not intentionally chosen to leave story two for story one, then you are in story two as your primary home. Because mm -hmm. you would know if you've intentionally left that place for story one. And so there's no shame there. I mean, it's a brand new concept relatively for me. But, but what we want to do is say, story two never has a good ending. Story two is not even enjoyable while you're in it. So there's no reason to spend another second in a story two life when you can choose story one and you can start experiencing this deep union and your true voice and vision and rest. Like that's the promise of the Eden option, but you have to choose it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and here's the thing. Our lives are telling a story regardless, right? We're telling a story just by being alive. And, and what we're talking, it's the story that we're living, right? So wouldn't we want to live the story of mystery, of union with God who loves us, who created us for a purpose, who, who just delights in us? And yeah, it's not always easy, but there is purpose and there's joy and there's restoration. There's life in that 
story and we get to and then we get to bring out the best right so bringing out that hunger awakening that hunger by telling that story the best is christ in us the hope of glory and if and if we don't have that yet then it's the hunger for yeah i want that but then totally we have it yeah and, and plus the coming kingdom that we all talk about yeah. that we're so excited about that story won so why not start living that now for you know not just wait until later like you don't want to be in story two until you die and then experience story one like start story one now that's what it means right. to be reborn right. to be recreated to be made new start living story one now and then it's a seamless transition when it's time to go from this reality to the next you're already living right. that story you just get to yeah. see it in fulfillment then the goodness of the lord in the land of the living right it starts now eternity starts now so alan Oh my goodness, I could keep you here for another hour, but I know you have a life to live. So um, thank you so much for this. Um, there, were, there was so much more we didn't get to talk about, but that just means people need to read the book. Um, and we'll have you back because you're gonna write more books or I'll just bug you, you know, find you, track you down at some other captivating retreat or something someday, somehow, sometime. But um, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, and Nancy, can I invite people to one other thing? Yes. That is, um, if you're listening and enjoying this kind of conversation that Nancy and I are having, I do a daily reading on God and creativity. That's the topic. And it spans everything from like earlier this week, it was one of the day's readings was an invitation into the secret life of Walter Mitty and helping people kind of understand how that movie was a portal to seeing life differently to oftentimes it's how to not feel alone when you're creating when you're pursuing your gifting but it's just a few paragraphs a day and if it's free and i'd love yeah. for people to sign up for that and oh yeah that at my website which is with alan w-i-t-h-a-l-l-e-n.com slash sign dash up and if people will just do that they'll get them delivered to their inbox monday through friday It'll take about 30 seconds a day to read it, yep. but it's the kind of thing that helps you stay in this mindset and heart set of, I want to do all of life actively with God as his son or daughter. Which is great because, you know, I, for one, I, I go through short-term memory issues, you know, like my memory is short. I mean, and, and I do believe that, yeah, I want this story one life. And I think that is my primary story. But I'll tell you what, my memory is so short. So I, I need those reminders and that encouragement on a regular basis, which I think is why Jesus said, abide with me, right? Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Yes. So, yeah, but I'm, I've signed up for those. I'm going to put that in the show notes as well. Um, but yeah, they're great, greatly encouraging. So, Alan, thank you. Thanks, Nancy. This was a blast. I've really enjoyed our time. Until next time. Nudging people toward a welcome awakening. I like it. So what story are you telling? What story do you want to tell? Tell you what, go to withallen.com and that'll get you started. You can find his book there. And of course, wherever you like to acquire your books, it's called The Eden Option. And also those daily readings he was talking about, they're really good. That's at withallen.com slash sign up. And of course, I hope you'll keep coming back to the aisle. And you can do that a couple of different ways. 
One way I never talk about is by subscribing to this here podcast, whether it's on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I would love to have you along for the ride. And if you like what you're hearing, give us a review that says so. That'll really help. And then, of course, you can come for more Misfit Fun at isleofmisfits.com. That's I-S-L-E of Misfits. But whatever you do, however you do it, my wish for you remains as always Keep owning your awkward on the way to becoming who God wired you to be. Keep loving your fellow misfit and keep looking out for beauty and truth because they're both out there waiting to be found.